and welcome to Blowing This Joint, the chronic illness podcast for and by the chronic illness community. My name is Kerry White from the Chronic Homestead. Thank you for joining me. Welcome back to Blowing This Joint, a chronic illness podcast hosted by yours truly, Kerry Wire of The Chronic Homestead. So we are now on day two of uh, EDS and HSD Awareness Month, this being May, the month of May, if you're listening to this in the future. Uh, I hope the weather's better for you in the future than it is for us right now, that's all I'm going to say. Now, the prompt for today, following along with the Earless Danlos Society prompts for this month, is what you see and what you don't. Now, that's a great prompt, actually, because that that opens up a lot of doors and a lot of conversations, probably more than one podcast worth. Um, The three things that pop immediately to mind are certainly hidden and dynamic disabilities and also appearing healthy. Now, I would like to start this podcast, as I do most podcasts, with a blanket sort of trigger warning that of course we will be talking about things like medical gaslighting uh, and also to at its core this is a chronic illness and disability podcast so some of the topics discussed may may be distressing to some people may also be hard to hear as it may bring up things for you so please take that into account before continuing uh it's certainly a polite podcast there's the, i try to avoid swearing where possible uh, but just a just a heads up that some things may may just be not what you need to hear today. So just as before we get into it, we'll get just put that on out on the table. So what you see, this I think is probably one of the most I suppose aggravating facets of things like chronic illness and disability, uh, especially of things like. Uh, connective tissue disorders like HSD and EDS is that there are there are visible symptoms so things like in mast cell you may have uh, actual rash reactions uh, you may have dermatographia which I have uh, you may have you know cl- very clearly dislocated joints or bruising but a great many sort of symptoms that can be experienced in the connective tissue world and which is which is my experience so that's where I'm speaking from a lot of those symptoms are overwhelmingly non, non-visual. So they're not something you can see. They're only something that the person can actually feel. And that can be really hard, hard to articulate if you don't have the language. So certainly as a child, uh, I had, I had trouble kind of explaining and arguing with, you know, people in power, whether it be family or teachers or doctors or something like that, that what I was experiencing was experiencing was an actual thing. Uh, given that they couldn't see any damage, I mean, a- any parent of children knows that they run into a wall and go, oh gosh, you know, my leg's broken. And you're like, no, you're okay. And they go, yeah, look at it. I am. Can I have a biscuit? I'm fine. The problem is though, there is, there is for a great many of us, a, a huge, a huge backlog of, of baggage connected to trying to just get people to listen. And I find that I've had enormous amounts of trouble with that with doctors, which uh, again is not not unique. And I can virtually guarantee everyone in our community has had experience with that at some point. Uh, almost the more doctors you see, the more of it you experience. And like fair's fair, I will be I will be I will be kind. Doctors are people; they are human beings. No one is perfect. 
doctors will of course make mistakes sometimes they may have trouble understanding things that they don't know anything about uh i think the biggest hurdle that we we face with doctors personally is we especially myself i've come up against a great many doctors that when faced with something they don't know they dig in their heels and refuse to know more they're convinced that they know all the things there are to know and definitely cannot entertain the notion that their patient could know more than them and that is definitely something I have come up against uh that I think that preparedness also doesn't help us in the in the hidden disability uh kind of realm because if you can't convince people that what you're experiencing is real but you seem excessively educated on the on the topic it does ironically erode our credibility a little bit and I'm certainly not advocating that we stop I I think that we need to be our best advocates we need to be informed we need to do the research we need to understand you know what what our condition is what what it entails how it affects us all those things do not take that power out of your hands I'm absolutely not saying that but I think that 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 does hurt us in that that's that sphere where it's like if we can't convince people that what we're experiencing is real but we have an excessive amount of knowledge of it that's when we start getting the maybe it's all in your head tag it's a mental health issue tag it's attention seeking it's drug seeking uh, especially if you're unfortunate enough to experience a very high level of pain and you know current pain medications aren't cutting it that that sends up red flags from medical people now I can I can see where they're coming from but and like I say I'll I'll give them I can see but a very big but their 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 loyalty I suppose should always be to their patient so you would have to ask yourself what possible what possible reason could someone have for you know saying that it feels like their leg is broken if it's not what what need would a would a nine-year-old have for consistently hobbling and and not walking properly um you know what what need would would someone have if they require a wheelchair some days and other days not uh there's there's no valid reason why people would make that up I think at some point you have to you have to sort of go hmm maybe I don't know as much as the person going through this and we have to take that and take a step back and say okay I don't understand what's happening this is not my experience but you clearly are going through something I need to stop and I need to listen I think that's a skill that humanity needs to learn in general across every every aspect of the human experience but I think we really do especially in chronic illness and disability we need to hold space for people and let them tell their version of the story like I say this podcast is from my perspective as someone who has a a chronic illness and disability I have HSD I have comorbidities with that I have, uh, you know, severe allergic asthma, allergies out the wazoo. So I, I have quite a few things. I I don't, however, experience things like aortic root dissection or aneurysms. I don't I don't have that. So I can't speak with intelligence on what it's like to have that that condition. I have to defer to people with more knowledge, more lived experience on that. And I think that's also something that makes. Uh, the enormous spectrum of connective tissues but eds 
HSD more specifically. What makes it so hard is that there could be 10,000, there's no more, I'm just making a number up. Say there's 10,000 of us. Almost every single person is going to have a different experience. So some people are going to have far more pain issues. Other people may have more mobility issues. Uh, Some people may have far more uh, dislocations or subluxations than others. You may have others that are far more affected by fatigue and allergy. And this is something that the research is just starting to bear out that connective tissue disorders aren't just a, a tick yes or no box. They are a spectrum in that you know, it's not like, oh, this person's not really, not really suffering. This person's really suffering at the other end. It's more like a graphic equalizer. Oh gosh, I'm going to show my age here. Do you remember those graphic equalizer Walkmans? I'm talking like mid nineties here where you could pretend like you're a DJ and adjust every little tiny bit, even though you had no idea what it did. That was me. That's very much what the spectrum of connective tissue disorders looks like in a day-to-day setting in the sense of you know you may have pain high this day you may have pain low another day you may always have allergies really really high you may be fortunate enough like myself to to get a medicine that's now managing a great many of my allergies which means my allergy knob now turns down but it hasn't done anything for my fatigue or my my subluxation so it it's it's very much dynamic in how it presents that in itself can also become a problem. Uh, it can be hard to not only deal with a, di- a no dynamic disability, so you don't know what you're going to get that day. Are you going to wake up feeling you know, fairly well capable of starting the day? Are you going to wake up with a migraine? Are you going to wake up with your kneecap on the side of your leg? Uh, that, that unpredictability uh, definitely makes the condition hard as someone who suffers with it, but it also makes it hard for the people around us too, because I think all of us want to be, for want of a better word, reliable. Like we want to be able to say, yep, I will be there on Friday night. I can't wait. And then Friday rolls around and we can barely stand. Now that that's enormously frustrating for us, but also for our friends and family who want to include us in things. And then sort of find themselves reluctant to, you know, involve us because I think I don't want to make you feel bad because I know you're not going to be able to come. And then we're in this situation where it's like, oh, geez, I really, I know I can't, I probably can't make it, but it would be really nice if people still wanted me to come. And that's a vicious cycle as well. And I think that uh, that's something that I'm learning to deal with. I'm learning about pacing. If you haven't heard about that, I suggest you look it up. It's a really, it's frustrating beyond all all belief I'm one of those people that loves to rest unless I'm made to (laughs) if I'm forced to to, if I have forced inaction I I I get itchy Uh, and not in the uh, Marcel kind of itchy the kind of brain itchy I hate I hate feeling like I'm not of use I hate feeling like other people are doing more than I am I hate feeling like I'm letting anyone down that is something that I've had to deal with very very hard um since my my HSD started to get worse about two years ago. Um, that's something else you don't see, I suppose, from my perspective, is I have been, I've only recently been diagnosed. I only got diagnosed a few months ago. Uh, I only heard about EDS and HSD a year ago, almost, almost to the day. It was actually EDS Awareness Month that actually brought EDS to my attention. Uh, before that, I had around 
sort of 30 plus years of symptoms that were either in my head, uh, hormone, must have been hormones. Maybe it was because I was a girl. It was because I was too thin. It was because I was too fat. It's because I hadn't had kids. It was because I'd had kids. Um, there was always a reason other than something that was actually of any help <laughs> or benefit or actually made sense. Um, but around about five years ago, I'm 42, around about five years ago, I went into perimenopause, which is early, um, but not unheard of in my family. My maternal grandmother apparently was done and dusted by 33, which is very early. Uh, but yeah, so it's not, not unusual for people with EDS as well, but that really, really kicked the, the notch of, of, of whatever, I don't know what you would call it. Like it would really got the ball rolling hard. Um, things that were sort of sporadic where I'd have problems with my digestive system. Occasionally it was becoming more frequent. The exhaustion was getting harder. Um, for those of you who maybe don't have, um, estrogen in their body naturally, or if you, um, have long since looked that in the rear view mirror, what you may not be aware of is that as estrogen drops, which is what happens in perimenopause into, into menopause, um, that can dramatically, um, worsen connective tissue disorder symptoms like joint laxity, uh, tendon and ligament laxity, uh, heart rate and, you know, dysautonomia type symptoms, all of that just gets shook like a snow globe. And I'm, I'm firmly in snow globe territory. Uh, so things that used to be sporadic for me are happening far more regularly. My, my allergies got, uh, I say allergies kind of generically, uh, generally speaking, it was food, uh, things I inhaled, like, so just things just in the air, I became hyper allergic to life in general, just as vaguely to everything, which is also really hard because if you're, you're sitting there eating the same meal as five other people around you, and then next minute you're ill and everyone else is fine, it becomes hard to understand what's wrong. Because if you don't know that you have gastroparesis, or if you don't know that you have uh, mast cell issues or dysautonomia or whatever it is that causes your problems, and the fact that they overlap is a real favorite of mine too, I might add, uh, it can really make it hard because you think to yourself, what is the matter with me? Why, why can I not eat this? You know, why have I got, you know, this reaction to this completely benign food that everyone else ate and was fine. So clearly it's not food poisoning. Why am I sick? Or why can I not walk barefoot on the grass? Why do I have to wear shoes? Why can't I touch anything with my hands? Uh, why am I allergic to this or that? Or, you know, people say, okay, well, don't have this animal if you're allergic to it. And it's like, dude, I'm allergic to the whole world. Don't deny me the love of an animal as well. So that, that kind of, that's something that I find frustrating. I think that's not something that's always super visible because it's not something that's necessarily obvious because I think, you know, between wanting to be private people, but also kind of trying to treading that line between, I want people to know what's going on with me so that they can either understand or assist or something like that and not wanting to come off as a whinger. And I don't know whether this is a uniquely Australian thing or what, whether you guys can relate, but it's, it's, it's a very, it's a fine line between, I want you to know what I'm going through, but I don't want you to think I'm sucking about this. And 
I want to balance what I put out there, not, not only to my family and friends, but also through social media and stuff like that. There might be long periods of time where I don't post anything and it's because I'm just so tired or so sore or, you know, it's just too much. The idea of having to actually type a caption, even with voice activated text, which by the way is absolutely rad. If you haven't got into that, you really should. Um, even that just seems like an absolute mountain, a mountain to scale. And then by extension, the only posts I make are when I feel good. So they're upbeat. They're me smiling. They're me doing something nice. Like a today feeling well, I've, I made some paper. I, I, I'm, I like being crafty. It's that will feed through into the podcast as we start getting into other stuff further down the track. But I just made some paper today and I had a great time doing it. Now, I don't want to give the impression that I'm always okay. There are many, many days where I'm really not okay. Like some days are better than others, but some days I am just so sore or tired or sick that I just, I can't, I can barely function in, in my role as mum and wife, let alone social media person. But I don't then have the energy and or strength to get onto social media and go, this is the reality of chronic illness. See how I look. I look like a bashed crab. That's because I'm so sick and tired. And, and I think that's the thing is that, because you don't see the bad, not because I'm necessarily trying to hide it, but because I just literally don't have the energy to share when things aren't great, that it gives people the impression that everything's fine. And I think in speaking, even back in my cake days, when I used to teach cake decorating, um, I used to, you know, when you'd have a class and you have five hours and everyone's kind of milling around because they've finished their work or waiting for something to chill while they work on something else. And that's when, you know, the stories come out. Everyone's like, oh, you know, what's the, what's the most fun thing you've ever made or who's your favorite cake person or, and the stories come out and, you know, people will ask me, you know, what do you do when you're, when you're not caking? And I say, I sleep <laughs> where possible. I lie down. And it really surprised a lot of people, even back then before this really turned up to 11, that I was just, I had this sort of like real bubbly, very excited personality and like how much of the time I spent exhausted because they didn't see it. And it wasn't a conscious choice to hide that from people. I suppose there was a degree of, I don't want to look like I'm whinging because I want people to be happy and like me and come to my classes because that was my income at the time but there's also too it's like if I'm if I'm tired I'm not gonna I'm not gonna be posting I'm not gonna I'm not gonna get out there and start recording you know live broadcasts and stuff like that if I can't hold my head up because that doesn't put my brand at the time like doesn't put my brand or my my classes in the best light it, it makes me look like I don't want to be there it makes me boring people aren't going to want to watch. So, you know, I'm only putting out my best self as it were. And I think that that's a problem across social media in general. I think we've got to remember that we only see people's highlight reels, not their, you know, not their cutting room floor as it were, but especially, um, myself, like I, I find myself kind of going, gosh, do I make the effort? Do I make the effort to make sure I put out, content not content I think I still think in terms of when I used to be a creator but do I put things out when I'm feeling like a bash crab looking like a bash crab or do I hold back because I'm just so tired it'd be pushing myself to do it and I am at war with that because I think it's important to show people that 
it's not always you know it's not always upbeat and upright and you know oh, I can string a sentence together really well today you know some days I really have because of headaches or whatever I really have real cognitive capacity issues to the point where putting words together is really difficult and I have to point at things and I you know everything's a thingy and there's lots of clicking while I'm trying to think of the word that happens quite re quite regularly now you know what value do I do I if I put that out there is that valuable is that something where it makes people feel more at ease that they're not alone maybe it is this is something I want to kind of experience with this podcast like this podcast is every bit as much for me as it is for you guys like I'm sure at this point there's about three people that aren't relating to me actually listening to this but it's it's important for me too to get my thoughts out there because I am fairly new to understanding what I'm going through but I've been going through it for many decades and that's a really weird dichotomy because I know what I feel but I didn't know what it was and I, have, I haven't worked out entirely how to put that into boxes yet. Um, it took me a while to refer to myself as disabled. Um, and I I own that. Uh, I'm not sure what the word is. Again, cognitive capacity issues. Um, but like internalized bias, I suppose, where I, I certainly, certainly do not look down on anyone with a disability. I I am disabled. It's not that. It was a... That's reserved for people who are incapacitated, not me. And I had to make peace with the fact that some days I am incapacitated. I fall under the category of disabled. I would be considered dynamically disabled because some days are better than others, uh, but I am disabled. And that that can be hard to wrap your head around as well because that's, that's taking on... I suppose a label, I, I don't know if that's the right word, but that's that's taking on a mantle that I wasn't prepared for. And I imagine it's probably a lot like someone who's suddenly disabled. So I'm thinking of, you know, traumatic disabilities where someone's had a car accident or something where it very much feels like on Monday they were fine and on Tuesday life changed. And for me that it did happen like that where I had – I mean, now looking back through the lens of understanding what I was dealing with, I always had problems. I had, no, it's not normal to not be able to run because your ankles dislocate. That's not normal. Like <laughs> That was my normal, but that's not normal. And it took me a really long time to realize that the things I was going through were real. They were bad. They weren't normal. But in my mind, that shift between... I'm fine, I'm just clumsy, or I'm fine, I'm just a little bit tired because I've got kids after all, or I run a business after all, or whatever, that they were all part of the one whole and they were all they were all part of a disability that I didn't really realise that I had, uh, in part because I told myself I was fine, but also because, you know, doctors and things like that were telling me, you're fine, you're fine, we've done the tests, there's nothing wrong. You just need more iron in your diet. You just need to lose some weight. You just need to whatever. And I think I think probably the thing that people really don't see is what it's like to – I'm trying to think of the right words for this – what it's like to suddenly understand something that you've always seen. Like, 
you know those old school 3D pictures that were really kind of squiggly and then when you put the little blue red glasses on all of a sudden it was 3D I think that's very much what my experience going down the road of understanding EDS and HSD has been like uh, I was looking at those squiggly lines for you know 40 years and I just sort of went yeah that's a picture that's how it looks that's that's you know, it's squiggly lines. That's what everyone has. And then all of a sudden glasses, the 3D glasses have dropped and I've gone, oh, wow, what? <laughs> this is what I've always looked at. And yet it's completely different. I didn't see this the way it was. I didn't see the dimensions that this had. I didn't see, I didn't see what was there because I didn't know what I was looking at. And I have gotten a bit obsessed as I imagine a lot of people that become responsible for uh, understanding their own health, uh, do uh, voraciously reading medical journals and, you know, watching lots of the YouTube videos from doctors at symposiums and things like that. And I have a folder, <laughs> I have a folder sectioned into different facets of EDS. Uh, you know, this one on mast cell, this one on dysautonomia, this one on, uh, variants of unknown significance. That's a whole nother rant for another day. Um, and just trying to learn as much as I possibly can. And, I think that's probably something people don't see is that I have a, I have a outwardly carefree nature, but I'm a quite a serious person. I, people actually got the impression that I was extroverted because I obviously can talk for 25 minutes straight with barely drawing a breath, but I'm actually fairly quiet in general. I don't like to go out. I like to stay home. I like to relax. I like to read. I like to hang out with my family and, um, kind of, this is voracious sort of reading medical journals, <laughs> you know, in my spare time. I, I think, um, I think that's something people don't see. And I think that's a fairly, you fairly common experience amongst people with chronic illnesses is we have to become not only our own advocates, which I think is hugely important, but also our, our own kind of walking encyclopedia of, you know, oh, I've read that study or I know what this is or I know what you need to test for because we come up against so much uh, lack of understanding and lack of visibility, which is the entire point of this Awareness Month is to bring attention to EDS. It's not about, hey, look at me, I have this condition, feel sorry for me or, you know, be super impressed because I, you know, sometimes, you know, I don't know. I can't think of an example. Like I said, my, my brain's all over the place, but it's not about drawing attention to ourselves so much as it is drawing attention to EDS in general. And the more visibility that we can all, we can all bring to it. The more, the more people see, the less, the less there is of what you don't see. And the more of what there is that you do see, the better for all of us, because the more people understand this and the more doctors and medical personnel allied health type people that actually understand what the experience is of people with connective tissue issues is the better for all of us. Um, certainly my hope this, this month is, I hope I speak to a me. Uh, one year ago I was listening to, to all of this and I, cause I, I like many people, I follow Jamila Jamil, she's an absolute legend. Um, I was following her because I liked her, not because I knew she had EDS. And one day she said she had EDS and, she, and you know, I thought, oh, being nosy that I am, I'm like, oh, what's EDS? And I Googled it and I went, oh, wow, what? <laughs> uh, I think we have a winner. 
and I started to research it more and more. I thought, this is this is the thing. This is the piece. This is the thing that explains everything. And I would take it to my doctors and they'd say, you've got what? And can you spell that? You know, um, again, I'm sure we've all experienced that. And it became a thing where it became really obvious that now, even though I knew the name of what the problem was, what was wrong with me, it still didn't help. I still was coming up against the same problems. Doctors still were like, yeah, but that's really rare. You probably don't have that. Or, oh, yeah, but that's, that's that's you know, there's no way to test for it. So, you, you nah, you're fine. Like, drink a lot of water. Take some vitamin supplements, you know. And I thought, oh, my gosh, even even with a diagnosis or even with knowing what it was, I'm still up against it. I'm still trying to get a diagnosis. I'm still trying to be taken seriously by doctors. I'm still trying to find adequate care. I'm still collecting specialists like Pokemon. And it's, and every single time I see a specialist, they're like, Hmm, you should really see it. I'm like, let me guess a different specialist. (laughs) And apart from the time and effort and money, oh my God, the money it costs to, to do the things we have to do, the, the braces, the doctors, the, it's a lot and it's tiring and we don't have a huge amount of of effort to spare so the more the more visible we can make this the more easily understood and widely understood we can make EDS and HSD the better for it is for the people that follow behind us and as this runs in families you know my both of my boys are, are showing signs of EDS they have stretch marks you know, before they really need to, they're double jointed, you know, it, I would, uh, my, my sincerest wish is that they don't have to go through this. And we, I mean, they, they may have EDS, but they don't have to, you know, they can go to a doctor and they can say, I have EDS. And the doctor goes, oh, okay, yep, no worries. And writes it down. They don't have to prove themselves. They don't have to go through a barrage of tests. They don't have to have their sanity questioned, their weight questioned, they don't have to be asked if they're pretending or if they just need attention or how's your marriage, you know. The, they don't get any of that garbage. They just get adequate, if not exemplary, care and attention. And I, I desperately hope with all my heart that that's what we can do uh, this Visibility Month. And I think that's what I would really like people to see is far more support and visibility for all of us going forward. So yeah, that's that's kind of wrapping it up this week. I well not this week today. I'm I'm kind of recording these all over the place as I am well enough to do so. Uh, I'm trying to follow along with the prompts for the uh, awareness month that are put out by the Earless Danlos Society. Some of them I'm leaving off the podcast and I'm just going to have them as social media posts because they don't make sense as a podcast. They're more of a visual, like you know, here's me wearing, you know here's me smiling or whatever it is. So there's one of them that's a smile, but, um, some of them, you know, can warrant a deep dive and I'm going to try and keep up with those as best I can. The next episode is, uh, going to be based on the day three prompt, which is shine a light on a type of EDS. Now I myself have, uh, HSD, um, you know, potentially HEDS, depending on if they change the classifications. But what I really want to shine a light on is myopathic EDS or meds, as we can, uh, can shorten it down. Not only because it's 
I think one of, if not the rarest type of EDS. Um, so, you know, even there's so little known about it that it would take five minutes, less than five minutes to tell you everything we currently know. But I had genetic testing done uh, the beginning of the year to see if there was anything that popped in the connective tissue panel. And like many people getting genetic testing, I had some variants of unknown significance, uh, which I'll go into more detail next next uh, episode. But I had variants of unknown significance in collagen 12A1, which is the uh, gene for myopathic EDS. I fit a lot of the symptoms of myopathic EDS, but not the severities that have been diagnosed. Um, generally the the people that there's only about 19 people I think it is I think it might have been gone to 21 but there's about 19 people worldwide diagnosed with meds um I'm actually in a Facebook group of people with uh variations in that collagen that some of whom have been diagnosed some who haven't and again I wonder as well whether meds will become a spectrum disorder as well where that variant explains kind of where or how your body exhibits or suffers from EDS. So it's not not so much about, you know, you have it really bad or you have it really good, but what is affected. So that's something I really want to deep dive into next episode. I hope you'll join me for it. Uh, it's it, Like I said, meds is something that's not very well known. I've, I've sung quite a bit of um, time into researching it and there really is not much, but they actually recently announced a bunch of funding um, – through Dr. Oh gosh, uh, I can't remember her name. She's Dutch. I've gone blank, but she's uh, been granted some research funds to look into meds. So that's very exciting. And I'm, I'm, I myself, um, very keen to see what that bears out. So I hope you'll join me for that one. Um, it'll be fairly science heavy too, which if you go for a science nerd like me, strap your science nerd hat on and we'll, we'll see what we can pull out. But thank you guys so much for joining me. Um, I know these topics aren't necessarily the easiest to talk about, and I think that's why we have to. Uh, I hope you guys, if you're in the disability community or the chronic illness, um, even connective tissue community, that you're doing what you can to share some awareness this month for EDS. If you're a loved one or even a doctor of, of a patient uh, who has EDS, I hope, I hope, this podcast can bring you some help, maybe even understanding it from a patient's perspective. Uh, either way, thank you so much for joining me and I will speak to you guys next time. Mm-hmm.